Welcome to everybody here in the room with us and also those joining us online and take note of James's words that he closed with. If you're not sure about your relationship with God, that's the most critical thing that you could possibly work out. Uh, so, so think about those words and, and make your peace with God. And the, the amazing thing is if you're new to church, God is surprising because it's an undeveloped thought what God is truly like. And the Bible tells us actually that he's this loving father that wants to embrace us and wants to do life with us. He's not a scary character at all. He's not up there ready to strike us at the first mistake we make. No, no, no. He's there wanting to walk alongside us in life and just be with us. And so if that's a new concept for you, I hope it grows even as we spend this time together. But, but in coming weeks as well, just another block in that wall would grow for you where you begin to understand, wow, wow, that's, that's amazing that the God of heaven, the creator of the universe is interested in the likes of me. It's the best news of all. It's why we call it the gospel, which means good news. It's the good news that God wants to do life with us. We've been in this series and we're reaching the back end of it called The Greatest Return, where as you picked up in that interview, we're exploring the return of Jesus, which is the great Christian hope that infuses hope into our life right now. It's not something that's way up there in the distance. For the believer in Christ, return hope influences our everyday life. And we've been thinking over the last few weeks of some of the topics that return hope fuels. It rolls back into our today. It makes us live differently if we take this return hope seriously. And we come against... uh, Another topic this weekend in regards to honouring leadership that, that again is a very practical everyday thing. If you're struggling at work in relating to a boss that seems very demanding, or if you've got a grumpy grandma even, that, that just seems incredibly hard to get along with, or you've got trouble in your marriage or trouble in a parent-child relationship, all of those things can be made better by taking these principles seriously that we're going to explore here in the fifth chapter of Thessalonians, where we talk about how to honour leadership. Let me first acknowledge this passage is about church environments and the attitude we bring into church is of huge importance, but I'm not going to limit this reading just to that because here's the amazing thing about God's truth. It just sends sparks flying everywhere. It's not only relevant in the church box that we spend for an hour each weekend here. It it applies everywhere and anywhere you take it. Biblical truth is of great value. And while these principles are first written to promote a healthy church environment, you're going to find that anywhere where there's a working partnership, you need these principles that we're going to be looking at this weekend. Grasp them and life will be better, absolutely. Before we jump into this scripture passage, though, another observation to note, not so much about the reading, but about our culture, a presupposition that we perhaps need to deal with, and that is creating a culture of honour, because I'm not sure it exists in our Australia anymore. I'm not sure that we have honour as, as a high value in our Australian culture. Now, this never really became real to me until I got outside Australia, actually, And I've travelled to the USA, I haven't done much travel apart from that, but I've travelled to the USA a number of times now, given I'm married to an American, and when I've been there, I've spent a significant amount of time there. And what I noticed 
was when I was there, I, I thought that, you know, they speak English and, uh, you know, we'll just plug in and, and it'll be all the same. But actually there was some significant differences. So I arrived on US soil with a gift and my gift was sarcasm. And, uh, you know, every Aussie's got this gift within, inbuilt in their personality type. I have a friend who has a T-shirt that says sarcasm is one of the services I offer. And there's many in Australian that could wear that shirt and wear it well. So I arrived over yonder and I dropped a few sarcastic remarks and I found that these Americans didn't know how to handle that. They had a problem. Of course it was their problem, wasn't it? They had a problem. This is how we normally think about difference when we strike it. It's their problem, right? It's not my problem. It's them that's got the problem. So they had issues. It couldn't be me. They needed to loosen up. They needed to realise that being put down is a form of affection, yeah? <laughs> so I thought. Now, after a few visits and analysing this a little further, I realised that what I'm going to say is a huge generalisation. But many Australians would look on American culture and kind of say, well, they're arrogant. And after spending a significant amount of time there, I would now say, no, I don't actually think that at all. I think, generally speaking, they're confident rather than arrogant. What's underneath that confidence? I think they do honour far better than we do. They don't have this sarcasm as part of their regular culture, this tall poppy syndrome where someone's doing better than you and the only response, the only accurate response right, is to chop them down so that they fall over and can come down to your level. Affirmation flows more easily in the US culture. I think they do better at honouring and therefore I think they're more confident. This whole deal of tearing each other down isn't really cool. And that might be your upbringing. You might have been raised in a home where you were never encouraged, never spoken life over. You might say, well, that's just the Aussie way. Well, it may be the Aussie way. But at some point in time, we've got to stand back and go, how does the Aussie way reflect scripture or not? In this matter, it doesn't. And us Aussies have so much to learn about honour. And our scripture reading can help us this weekend about gaining these skills that we all Need. 1 Thessalonians 5, reading from 12 to 15. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 15. Dear brothers and sisters, honour those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you. I like that word, among. Leaders aren't above you, they're among you. And they give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. And may the Lord honour the reading of his word this weekend as we read together. Holy Spirit, come and open these words up to our heart. Give us understanding that we might grow and be all we can be in Christ, we pray. Amen. The first point I want you to notice in this scripture is respecting position. 
This is the call we see come through in verses 12 and 13, where the words honour, respect and love are all used. Now, again, these instructions have the dynamics of church leadership in mind. But the point is we all need to learn out with what a healthy level of submission looks like in our relationship. Because here's the point, there's always someone higher up the tree than you. There just always is. And even if you've reached the very pinnacle of your company, then there's God. But there's always someone higher up in authority than you. And what I found in um, retail management, a very interesting observation over many years in that space was I was in middle management. So I was never like the top person, but I was always in management. I would have like 30 staff over me. So I still had a significant amount of responsibility, but I wasn't the point leader. There's somebody higher than me. But what I would commonly see unfold in the work tea room was assassination of the boss. There was gripes, there was complaints, there was grumblings, there was criticisms. The boss regularly got slaughtered by people who had probably 0.1% understanding of their true role. You know, the person in the tea room was the expert, yeah? Hardly, hardly. But they would sit, this was the kind of accusation that would get thrown. If, that, if they really cared, they'd get out of the office and stop sitting on their backside all day and they're doing nothing. Well, they're probably doing Christmas sales budgets requested by the state manager or trying to match the current roster to the staff budgets or, or, or counselling the staff member who's taken the last 10 Fridays off as sick days and had long weekends. They, they were doing stuff, yes, but they were sitting on their butt and the outsiders looking in didn't have an appreciation for that. What I commonly saw was these folks way down the, the chain of command understood very, very, very little of the management role. And they're sitting there taking pot shots at the lack of work ethic going on by the manager in that space. Can I suggest that this sort of activity, and it goes on in every workplace, is not just unhelpful, it's actually ungodly. This is what 1 Thessalonians 5 is telling us. For a Jesus follower, this type of attitude is not just unhelpful, it's ungodly. Jesus followers show honour. Jesus followers respect position. Jesus followers bring words of life to a situation, not words of death. Let's face it though, working under authority is tough. Who likes being told what to do? None of us do, yeah? We don't like it. Submitting to authority is one of two options. It's hard or it's harder, depending on what the relationship is like with the boss. When there's a natural click and you get along, it, it's, hard, it's sometimes hard, but then it's even harder when that click isn't there. And who knows it's not always there. And who knows even when it is there, it can be going missing at times and you've got to maintain it and keep working at relationship. Some of you are saying, Johnny, you haven't solved any of my problems. I mean, my boss is a tyrant. And uh, well, I never promised I could solve your problems. Uh, and there's occasions where you've actually got to just leave, where the situation's got so bad and is not improving over time, and you've actually just got to get out of a toxic environment. But even when you move out of a position, that can be done respectfully. That can be done well. That can still be done with honour and should be. It's true that we can't always respect the person but we can always respect the position, and there's a difference, and we should respect the position. The best biblical example of a person doing this well is a guy named David. 
way back in the Old Testament. He's got 10 out of 10 level of honour going on. Now, David's got this whisper from God's anointed messenger, Samuel, and he's been put in a really awkward spot. This whisper through, through the God's messenger, Samuel, is that you will be the next king. And it was a good word. It had come directly from God. Now, the problem was there was somebody sitting on the throne at the time. So David's in this awkward spot of knowing that God has appointed him as the next king. But, but what's he going to do with the fact that somebody's already sitting there? How's he going to act towards this guy called Saul? Well, most of us would give Saul the stink eye and say, you know, Enjoy your day in the sun, mate, because it's going to end soon. But David didn't act like that. Not David. Saul was threatened by David. Saul had this kind of inkling that something was going on, that David was someone special, that he would eventually rise up. And Saul was intimidated by that, and he treats him terribly. He's a really, really bad egg. But in return, David just keeps offering honour and honour and honour every single time, after every mistreatment. In David's mind, this was about order. This was about his part of the pie. He was going to be honourable despite how he was treated from the other side. In David's mind, honour wasn't about the other person. It was about him and what he was going to bring to the table. Now, I get it. Some of us have had a lousy boss and I can't provide you with a game plan to fix that. I really can't. I can tell you what will not help. I can tell you what 100% of the time will definitely not work. No culture ever improves via dishonour. It just doesn't. If you're going to bring complaints and criticism and gripes and grizzles, look for things to get worse. Nobody wins in that sort of environment. And how about we choose to be a church under God where we hold our tongues back and where everybody else is criticising, the boss or anyone for that matter, we decide we will not do that. We will not be that person. We will be the person that turns the conversation around and brings life to it. How about we decide that? How about we decide to bring honour to every person, every situation? We, we respect leadership by respecting their position. We, we honour leadership also by being people of peace. People of peace. This is covered in verse 13. Live at peace with each other. That in itself is a gift to a leader. Just don't be the stirrer of the pot. It's really easy to fall into that category, isn't it? It kind of just feels very natural and effortless. Every parent knows what it's like to be a people manager. Little humans aren't much different from big humans. And if you're seeing a couple of kids go at it, you understand how this works. He took my toy. No, I didn't. She hit me. He hit me first. And backwards and forwards the kids go. And the parent screams down the hallway, children, go up. Can you stop fighting? Can this household have some order and unity into it? And sometimes as a parent, it just feels like you're the umpire blowing the whistle, trying to split up siblings. There is huge maturity required to be a person who decides in advance, in advance, I'll be a person that promotes peace. I'll be a person that promotes peace. I'll not be easily irritated. I'll not be quickly offended. 
I will not be the sulk in the corner. I will overlook small things. I will make the main thing the main thing. I will bring the heart of God by bringing a spirit of peace. Because just as all kids getting along bring joy to the heart of their father, in an earthly sense, so too we, in a spiritual sense, bring joy to the heart of our heavenly father when we bring peace to one another. And in Jesus' words, he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. I think part of what he's saying is they bear family resemblance, that they, they, they're bringing the trademark of their father to bear in the situation who's a peace-loving God. We're called by God to be a people of peace. We don't fluke it occasionally. We actively seek it out and go after it uh, as peacemakers. I love good coffee. I'm super fussy about coffee. I'm <laughs> getting some coughs in the house. I'm not easily pleased. I have super high coffee standards. But because I love good coffee, I, I know where to find it. I learn where to find it. When I enter an environment, I quickly discover where good coffee resides. When I visit a town, one of the things that gives that town a tick is whether the coffee shop is decent or not. I probably won't be a return traveller if it isn't. I judge a township based on the level of its co coffee. And because I love good coffee, I've learned the defining markers of good coffee. I know that how long it takes to get to me is part of whether it's going to be good or not. I can tell by the style of cup it's being delivered in whether this coffee is going to be good or not. I can tell by the three inches of foam on top whether it's going to be a good coffee or not. I can tell by the temperature of the cup if it's going to be a good coffee or not because over the years I've learned the markers to find where good coffee is. In a similar way, if I loved peace, I'd know where to find it. I would know what words help bring peace into being and promote it. I would know what gives peace the best chance of growing. I would know what destroys peace and what shatters it. And I would know that when Callie says, what do you think of Sam? And I know they just had a blue two days ago. That's just not a no, that's just not a, a, a no nonsense question. That's actually a question that's trying to draw me into conflict. And if I love peace, I wouldn't go there. I wouldn't take that as an opportunity to sink the boots into Sam who's not in the room because I'm a peace lover. If we love peace, we'd know what built it. We'd know where to find it. And we would go to that place every single time. Would we be a church that loves peace and decides to keep going there every single time? This is what God says honours leaders. But no, notice how it actually doesn't apply directly to the leader anymore. It's a sideways conversation now. It's not about how you relate to the leader. It's about how you relate to one another. But here's the thing. One of the difficulties of being a leader is they have to carry in their spirit the conflict that's going on in an organisation. And by diminishing that, you actually take a major stress off a leader because they don't have to just worry about whether they're in conflict or people. They've actually got eyes for the whole organisation and whether people are getting along or not. So by bringing a spirit of peace, this is a gift to a leader. There's an element here of not what we start doing, it's what we stop doing. Yeah, we start bringing conversations of honour. 
which was the first point. But we stop, we stop carrying on words of gossip and slander and engaging in mean-spirited chit-chat, not against, just against the leader, but against anybody. Now, there's two levels of gossip, and I think most of us only ever graduate to level A. Level A, in terms of, is what we stop in being a gossip. When we think about being challenged by gossip, okay, it's a destructive thing, I shouldn't be involved in it. What we normally think of there is just our mouth. I will stop speaking out negative words. I will stop carrying forward stories that aren't helpful or going to build an environment. And that's a wonderful thing to decide that, to stop speaking nasty words, that it's not your style, it's not cool, it's not your go-to. But that's only step one. That's not enough. Step two, step one, close your mouth. Step two, close your ears. Decide that you'll no longer be a funnel for, for gossip to pass through, that you don't have an appetite for it, that people are wasting their time when they come to you with their big juicy story because you just don't go there. You just don't have any interest in gossip. Step one, close my mouth. Step two, close my ears. If gossip is in circulation, decide you're out. You're out. You have no interest in it. Close our mouths. Close our ears when it comes to negative talk. Here's a side comment that doesn't directly relate to our conversation, but it's such a valuable insight, I want to give it to you. It's a feather to tuck in your cap. When you go there and decide, not only will I not speak gossip, but I'm actually not even interested in hearing it anymore. I'm not a contributor in that conversation whatsoever. I have zero interest in gossip. When you adopt that as your lifestyle habit, over time, you know what you demonstrate? You are a safe person. And people begin trusting you because they go, oh, there's the person where everybody else was tearing Matt apart in that room. They said nothing or they turned the conversation on its head and tried to say a positive comment to, to point out the good traits about Matt and lift him in that conversation. So it's kind of the fruit of being a person like that. You end up being trusted because here's what happens. When you walk into a room and I'm slamming Matt and he's not there to defend himself, an internal alarm goes off in your head and it should. Hey, don't trust John. I mean, he's the guy that smashes the person that's absent. And what I've just demonstrated to you, if I do that, is as soon as you walk out of the room, Guess what? You go in the gun and poof, I start firing shots your way as well. So you become a trusted person when you adopt this mentality. Don't only stop gossip from the mouth, stop it from the ears as well. Embrace those two levels of being a person of peace. You do that, you'll have lots of friends, you'll be well loved and well trusted because that's rare that a person operates like that. Coming back now to our text in 1 Thessalonians 5, being a peace lover is a significant way of honouring leadership. There's a lot of merit in just being the person that flies under the radar, who the boss doesn't constantly need to manage because you're always in conflict with anything with two legs. I mean, there's, there's just so much value in being that person that stays out of trouble and is a person of peace. One more insight our text gives us about honouring authority. I'll reread the verses before putting the point up because it's a little nuanced, but it's, you'll make perfect sense of it. 
when we read this. 1 Thessalonians 5:13 at the end says, Live peacefully with each other, which we just spoke of. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, and be patient with everyone. Now, how does this apply to honouring leadership? It's this, sharing in difficult tasks. Verse 13 and 14 is all about sharing in difficult tasks with working with people. Forgive me for divulging in church leadership speak for a moment. We'll get back to the broader marketplace in just a sec. But surprisingly, verse 14 starts with a generic address. Hey, y'all. This is for you. This is your job to warn the lazy, encourage the timid, and care for the weak. This is whose job? Your job. Why is that surprising? Because most of us who've ever been around a church environment say, that, that's not my job, not that. I mean, I'll play music, I'll cook a sausage at the Bunnings barbecue, I'll hand out a newsletter. I'll do those types of things, but the serious ministry stuff, the soul work, the meetings that require people skills, the really deep stuff, they're not for me. They're for the experts in the field. They're for the pastor. I'm just a factory worker. I'm just an accountant. I'm just a builder. I don't do that deep ministry stuff. Well, read it again. These bunch of baby believers, and that's all they were, are called in to deep ministry. Paul says, jump in, warn the lazy, encourage the timid, care for the weak. And he addresses it to brothers and sisters corporately. You're all in on this. Hey, this isn't for people who've got a ministry degree on the wall. You've got the calling. Access will stop progressing quick smart if we're going to sit around and wait for the professional to show up before anything can happen. God gives his spirit willingly to everybody and says, jump in, get involved, do this deep ministry. Every person here is called to visit the depressed, unemployed person. Every person here is called to get alongside the person who's just got a fresh diagnosis that's very, very serious. Every person here is called into this deep ministry. Every person here is, to, is called to pray for others. Every person here is called to visit the teenage girl whose parents have just split up. This is for all of us. This isn't for the professionals. This is everybody who's a believer in Christ. You say, well, hang on, I thought the big ticket items were for the guys in cloth. You know, call Pastor Graham, call Pastor Neil, call Pastor Lino, call one of those holy rollers. But me, like I just do the practical stuff around here. Well, no, apparently not. 1 Thessalonians 5 and the entirety of the New Testament actually says we are a one another body ministering to each other. There's 70 commands in the New Testament how people minister to one another. This isn't supposed to be a one-man band. Everyone is invited into God's work. And there's no pecking order here. Remember we read leaders are among you. They're among you. They're not above you. They're among you. Is there a time for a referral to a professional? Sure there is. 
I do it all the time. I refer people to professional counselling and the like, but that's not to get myself off the hook. That's to broaden the amount of helpers available in a situation. More people that walk along and cheer people along in life, the better. The more people, the better. God says it so clearly here. The deepest ministry work is for everybody. The brothers and sisters of the church community get the call here. It's not addressed to the priests or the bishops or the pastors. No, not even the holy rollers, if there is such a thing. It's for everybody to do God's work. God doesn't give anyone a pass from walking alongside a ministry opportunity and ignoring it. Nobody is given a pass by heaven for such a thing. There's an expectation put on the entire body to be a, a working team together looking out for one another without any pecking order. There's no pecking order, but the order here does matter though. See, if I'm the guy going back through ABC here, if I'm the guy criticising the leadership and I'm the guy always at the centre of conflict, I ought not to be the guy that expects to come along and help people and be respected. That just ain't going to work. I've got to have that leadership respect in order. I've got to be the peacemaker. And then when I come alongside to help somebody else, I'm going to be respected as a person of influence who can help others through deep waters. Hang on, Johnny, you said that you're going to apply this to the workplace. Well, yeah, everything I just said counts there too. Everything I just said counts inside the walls of the church and outside the walls of the church. You know what I used to see in retail world all the time is there'd be this pool of water on the ground and there'd be this old lady come along with a walking frame and the staff member wouldn't make the connection that maybe I could get down there and clean that up before there's an accident that happens. No, here's what they would say, that's not my job. They need to put on another cleaning shift. No, it's your job. If you saw it, you fix it. And it's the same principles that apply in, in church world or anywhere else. See a need, meet a need. God wants you to be the person who gets involved and who helps and who assists and who makes a difference. 99% of the time a leader would rather you fix the problem than hear about it. So just go and, go and get the cleaning kit, get the mop and bucket and fix it up so that this lady doesn't fall over. We all have a role to play. Make a difference for good. You say, Johnny, you're laying it on us pretty heavy. Well, I'm not. God did. This is God's word here in 1 Thessalonians 5 to a young church, to a bunch of people who'd only just embraced faith. And he says, this is for you, the deep stuff that the stuff you feel unprepared to take on in this moment. And here's something to let you in on here. This is a common experience felt by everybody. You need to join the NRY club. Not feeling ready. Not ready yet, should I say. The not ready club. I mean, we're all in that club. We all don't feel like we're ready yet. But it's as we make ourselves available to God that he can use us. And have you been surprised at what you're capable of when you give it a go? As you look back on your life, you, you do things now where you thought 10 years ago or even five years ago, oh, I could never do that. And look at what you're doing through God. This is the kind of God we worship. Friends, adopting these qualities will not only serve Access Church well, we're, we're an honouring culture, 
where we uphold peace, where we share together in complex tasks for the glory of God, it will serve you well as a human period. So take these principles, grab a hold of them, ask God's spirit to, to embed them deep in your heart and go forth into the world and make a difference. As the music team comes back, I want to remind you of the advantage you have if you're a follower of Jesus. See, when Jesus calls us to come follow him, and if you've embraced that call at all, you're actually learning surrender every single day. You're actually in a, in a rhythm where, where respecting authority is commonplace for you, so you have a massive advantage over somebody that doesn't have that. And if you've missed that relationship with Christ, you need to actually start right there. Don't try and get these things happening in your life without first plugging into the Lordship of Christ. Because by coming to him in humility, it gives you the capacity then to live out these things because you're doing them in his strength then and not your own. Would you stand and join me for prayer? Lord God, we want to be a people that respect position, that honour leadership. Lord, we, we ask that you would help us most of all honour you. And Lord, we want to be peacemakers. Forgive us of those times where we've jumped in on a conversation and added words of death instead of adding words of life. Oh God, change our hearts and help us see ourselves the way you see us so that we do have life to speak out and blessing to pass on to others. And God, we just ask right now that you would just release ministry callings all across this room and all across those who are watching online where we would stop undervaluing our contribution and say, that's not my job, that's for the minister, that's for the pastor, that's for the important people. And you would begin, God, right now stirring in us new dreams and new capacities and new availabilities to you. Just say, Lord, please take me. Here I am. Here I am. Would you take this quiet moment just to do that with God right now? Maybe you've never done it before. Here's my life, God. I hand it over to you. I invite you to be my director, my helper, my king. We're not designed to do life by ourselves. We need God. And he's so willing to come to us. So we just surrender to you again, Lord, all that we have and ever hope to be. We surrender. As we sing, see a victory. I just pray that you'll know the touch of God on your life in areas that, where there's a blockage, where there's a, a brick wall, where there's just an impossible situation. In this moment of faith, you'd be able to call out to him. 
see him come to your rescue. He's interested. He's interested in that situation at work. He's interested in that broken relationship. He's interested in that role that sits there that you don't feel worthy of. God's in all of those things because this is the type of father he is. Thank you, Lord.